everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan Moore. I'm the pastor of CARE here at the Life Christian Church. So glad that you're here, and thanksgiving greetings to all. Uh, We've been in a series, Indestructible Relationships, Love in the New Normal. Today we wrap that up. Uh, One of the ways God wants to be honored in our life is in our work. If asked who you are, what would you say? CEO, cashier, artist, engineer, warehouse technician, waiter, waitress, entrepreneur, stay-at-home mom. Often we identify ourselves based on our work, believing our work title is our identity. In the Atlantic article, Workism is Making Americans Miserable, Derek Thompson describes the gospel of work or what he calls workism. Workism is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. When you're told again and again that you are your work, you start to believe it. The trap in workism is associating your full identity and self-worth with your work, occupation, or job. You're not your work. Your work is simply a part of you. And so who created work? Well, we look at the context of Genesis to see work. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where we see this verse of scripture that says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. The Hebrew word there, work, means uh, a creative work done or made, a work that transforms the world. And so nestled in between these two complementary chapters on the creation of the first man and woman, we read that the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them was finished. And God's creative work was completed on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, the Bible tells us that God rested from all of his work and creativity. He did not rest because he was weary or tired. We know God never gets weary because he's omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe. The Lord rested on the seventh day because he was satisfied with all the wonderful creative work that he had done. And so we read a little later on in a couple of verses later in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, where we get a Hebrew word, once again, work that means labor or service, more cultivating. And so through these verses, we learn something of God's system of work. Work, from a biblical perspective, connects with yet supersedes the world's perspective. How does this relate to our text today? Because Paul says in the third chapter of Colossians, starting at verse 17, and whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus and come with him into the presence of God the Father to give him your thanks. To do our work in the name of the Lord Jesus Whatever work that is, whether it's paid work or unpaid work, carries at least two principles. Number one, we recognize we represent Jesus in our work. If we are Christ followers, how we treat others, how diligently and faithfully we do our work 
reflects on our Lord. So we have to ask the question, how well do my actions fit with who he is? The second principle is working in Jesus' name also implies that we live recognizing that he is our boss. A Christ-centered work life is to be praying specifically for the work we're in the midst of doing. An example of that would probably be this. If you're working maybe in an office doing business, hey, God, please show me how to serve these clients in a way that highlights your character and love for them. Or maybe you're teaching and you're saying, God, please let me teach these children with grace and patience today. The apostles' point is that in God's kingdom, our work and our prayer life are integrated activities. We we tend to see them as two separate activities, but we need to balance them because these two aspects are of the same activity, namely working to accomplish what God wants accomplished in fellowship with him and other people. So let's look more closely here at what God has to say about our work-life relationships. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 25, it says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive their inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The first point I want us to understand is this. We should work with sincere hearts. We see that in verse 22. The word sincere could also be translated as single-minded. We are to be focused on doing exactly what we've been called to do in our work. Bond servants in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. All things means in matters that are agreeable and pleasant. The tasks that we're told to do that we're like, oh, this is great. I love doing this. Or things that are disagreeable and unpleasant. I don't really like to do this particular part of my job. Or menial or grand, tedious or enjoyable. He explains what he means by not with eye service. Those who are merely please men, you know what eye service is. It's, it's when you act busy uh, when your boss is watching, you know. But soon as he or she leaves, you're back on ESPN, Facebook, and playing Angry Birds. It's when you just vacuum up the visible stuff on the floor or sweep the dirt under the stove rather than completely cleaning the floor as you were asked to do it. It's when you put in less nails and cheap materials into whatever you're building to save time and money. Yet the person paying you is expecting top quality work. That's just eye service. Can you imagine people... uh, setting up a tent made by Paul, who was a tent maker, and discovering when it rains, the tent falls apart. I can't imagine it neither. The the command here is to give complete, honest obedience to the expectations of whatever and whoever you're working under. Then Paul explains further, how should we do this? With sincerity of heart. The word translated sincerity in the Greek is literally singleness. Obey in all things with a singleness of heart. Singleness as opposed to hypocrisy or duplicity. It would be the, the mere eye service kind of work. It would also be when I'm kind to my boss and I say 
nice things to his or her face. Hi, how are you? You're awesome. I love working here with you. But then at the coffee break around other colleagues, I say stuff that just isn't nice. Maybe you say, you know, I could run this company better than they do. They don't even know what management really is. I should be the manager. I don't know why they don't promote me. Why do we serve in the way that God tells us to serve? Notice the last phrase in verse 22. It's fearing the Lord. We serve our employer or customers this way in the fear of the Lord and sincerity of heart, not because they deserve it, not because they're good people or that we'll get promoted or they'll recommend our business to friends and maybe that that will happen. But you serve this way because the eye of the Lord is always on us. And this is how the Lord has told us to serve. And we are afraid of displeasing the Lord. And so the second responsibility here is in verse 23, and it's basically do your work the best that you can. As those of us who are in Christ, we should be known for being known for people who work hard. And the task that's given to us, we give it all that we have. There's a term, a sports term, leave it all on the floor or leave it all on the field. It's sports terminology for playing hard until you have nothing left. Great athletes during their reign of greatness in the sport that they're in, whether it's you know uh, Tom Brady or LeBron James or back in the day, Michael Jordan or uh, Naomi Osaki, uh, Serena Williams. You see, I, I love sports. Um, no honest sportscaster can say they didn't give it everything they had every time they were on the field. Colossians is saying to us as believers, leave it all on the floor. Wherever we are, nobody should ever accuse us of never giving everything that the task that was set before us. And so I want to get a little personal with this verse of scripture. Every morning before I, you know, get ready to to work and go to my office, I make a, a stop right there in the prayer center and I pray and I ask God for wisdom I ask God for for strength. I I ask God for his mercy and clarity um, in in things that uh, I see coming, forecasting the day, and things that I I didn't see coming. A word that I can give to someone to encourage them that I, I I wasn't prepared for. But I understand this. If I just stop and pause for a few moments and ask God for the wisdom that I need, I can give everything that I can, every effort, every ounce of me, each and every day to serve you and this community here in West Orange, New Jersey. And so at the end of the day, I can pull up my driveway and go, thank you, Father, because I left it all at 747 today. I gave everything I had, all of my energy to the tasks that was set before me. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. In the Greek, the text is literally saying from the soul. I think it's that expression. Put your heart and soul into it. Give it all you got. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hands finds to do, do it all your might. It means don't be a clock watcher. You know what a clock watcher is. Looking busy until the next break. Looking busy until how many more minutes to go until I can go home. Thank God it is Friday. Right? That, that's, that's it. And we're not, when we do that, we're not trying to serve anybody but ourselves, right? And so Paul helps us to see what it means when he says, work as though you were working for the Lord rather than for men. 
Use your spiritual imagination of how you would work if the house that you were called to repair was Jesus' house. I suspect after you finished the repair, if you saw something else you could fix real quick, you would do that as well for him. Or maybe if the Lord pulls up into your auto shop, there's a problem with the car and you fix it, but you also say, you know what, Jesus, before I give you the car back, we're going to clean the car for you. What if your client was the Lord? It was the Lord who wanted a piece of furniture from your furniture store. Or it was the Lord that came into your clinic. Or it was the Lord who works in the office building and he's asking you to clean the building. If the Lord showed up at your Burger King, or if the Lord sat down at your diner, how would you serve him? No doubt you would welcome him, make sure that he's comfortable, He probably came with friends, I would guess. You would probably introduce yourself with a smile. Hi, Jesus. This is Ryan. I'm your server for today. What would you like? And know the menu or what's on it. You know, Jesus, we have gluten-free dishes. We have meals with no peanuts, as well as vegetarian and truly vegan meals. And of course, we have fish and beef. Jesus, would you want more drink? Sprite? It's the Obey your thirst. I know you're into obedience. So our responsibilities are to total sincere obedience and and working the best that we can, serving the Lord, not men. And then Paul informs us to keep this perspective in mind. And the third point is this. when When we work in the Lord, it changes the motivation of our work. As those of you who are in Christ, our primary motivation should be what we're working for the Lord. We do this knowing that there's a reward for us. Three motivations for working wholeheartedly unto the Lord. One, from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That would have been very a significant truth for slaves at that time who got no wages or probably were never allowed to own property um, or expected to get any bonuses from good service. Um, They had a right to, to object as well to this command. Um, probably we can uh, object to it as well. You know, I don't get paid enough to, to work for my boss like that, Ryan. But Paul says, you follow the Lord in your work. You work in the way that the Lord tells you to do, and the Lord will reward you. He will reward you, yes, here with maybe wages that are more, maybe a promotion, but he's, he's getting even further beyond that. He's saying, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, you'll be rewarded for the work that you did. Whatever job, paid or unpaid, whatever your pay grade, from hedge fund manager to stocking shelves, do it to the best of your ability. Obey Christ. Persevere in it. And there's a retirement package out of this world for you. And so the rest of this motivation, the second motivation is in verse 24, and it is the Lord Christ whom we serve. Did you know if you work like Paul is telling you to work here, then there's no such thing as secular work. We all have jobs and and we work in in some type of uh, thing that we do, whether it's paid or unpaid, once again. But if you're a full-time mechanic, a surgeon, a Uber driver, a science teacher, or a stay-at-home mom, if you're working in the way that the scriptures are teaching us this morning, you're involved in full-time Christian ministry. How can we be serving Christ? Well, for several reasons. First of all, you're taking care of people whom Christ loves. You're taking care of your customer 
who is using the products or, or of your company, but also that's a person that Christ loves. You're taking care of your family by earning money to provide for them. And also you have means then to take care of others. This is what we talk about when we do missions here. Ephesians chapter four, verse 28 says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. You're also serving Christ by the mundane, ordinary services because in doing them well and doing them honestly, you're adorning the gospel. In Titus chapter 2, verse 10, Paul tells um, Titus this in reference to bond servants. He says, show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. People who don't know Christ or the truth of the gospel, often what they think about the gospel or Christianity is based on claims of believers or followers and what we say but may not actually practice. If what they see, though, is something special, something unselfish about who we are, people who are are always about blessing other people, they see something beautiful, beautiful or honorable or admirable character, then they're much more likely want to know what made you such special in your character and who you are. But if they just see nothing special, the same old, same old, grudging service, they're not interested in our faith or anybody else's faith. Doing your work well also serves Christ because it can correct misguided notions about Christianity. First Peter 2, verse 12 says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Some of us will probably have employers or, or colleagues who we work beside each and every day that think little of Christianity for some reason or another. And we can change their mind about Christianity by the way that we work. And it also serves the Lord simply because it's obedience. And obedience conveys more than just words, but trust that we, we follow after God, and that we love God. So if we're working like this, our work isn't secular. We're in full-time Christian service in this way. But the third motivation to keep in view is the impartial judgment to come. He says that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. It means, though our employer may never know what we think we're getting away with, with eye service. Or it also means that employers' mistreatment or unfair pay, they won't get away with that either. So we need to be concerned ourselves totally with what? Working wholeheartedly unto the Lord. We don't need to talk about vengeance on our employer. Maybe they deserve it, you're saying, but Christ will handle that. We just need to concern ourselves with serving Christ at work. Let's look quickly at this fourth point and the command now for those who we'd say are the employers or or masters. The the, the command for masters or employers here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1 is, you are under authority, lead like Christ. Masters, 
Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul doesn't say near as much to masters and employers as he said to bondservants and employees. One explanation is that this is a reflection of the social makeup of the congregation to who he's writing to. So he's saying that there's probably more um, servants in the congregation at Colossae than there were uh, masters or, or employers. So in other words, um, this verse here, he's talking to the, now the larger group, um, and he just has one verse for them. But this one verse is a revolutionary statement for the time in which Paul wrote it. In a Roman world, there was no such thing as a working code or working condition code. Uh, there was no minimum wage law. But Paul says, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. The word justice here is a word that means rightness. And rightness is that which meets the standards set by God regarding how you treat another human being. The word fairness means equality. So you treat them as well as any other human being should be treated. And God's standard for how you treat human beings is how would you want to be treated? You would want to be treated fairly, right, just. In John chapter 13, Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. He's drying them with the towel wrapped around him. I want you to know this is a picture of Jesus showing us how to serve those around you. Did you know washing feet was the task of the lowest slave? Normally the youngest one or the newest one would have to do that job. That's like polishing your employee's shoes. It's like you, the manager, cleaning the bathroom. The point is, what could you do to make your employees more comfortable? What would you, what would you do to make their life easier? Maybe just to lift their spirits that day. Could you bring them a coffee? Could you maybe just ask how they're doing? How's your family? Show interest in their lives? Could we just ask if there's anything I could do to make your job easier? Could you maybe remember their birthday? Do something special for them on that day. If one day they seem stressed at work, maybe it's something related to, to life, maybe at home issues. Could you give them the rest of the day off? The principle Paul gives for every master or employer to be motivated in honoring Christ is this. You too have a master in heaven. You may be at the top of the pyramid. You may be the highest executive in the company. But you too have a master, one that loves every one of your employees so much that he gave his life for them. And so no employer... No, no Christian employer can rightly say, this is my business, I can do whatever I want with it. We must say, this is the Lord's business. He's entrusted it to me. And these are people he has made, who he loves, and he's put under my management. I'm responsible to steward it well. Whatever your responsibility is in life, for whomever you work under, to whoever we have allegiance to, let us never forget we do it all for Christ. And so that's why Paul says, show your devotion to Christ in your relationships and your work. And give you a little context here. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 
through 21, Paul gives details on how a family can reveal Christ and how they treat each other. And so he's, he's summing this all up here from Colossians chapter 3 to Colossians chapter 4, and he's saying this. If we're empowered by God and he reigns in our heart, wives, you can be supportive and tenderly devoted to your husbands. If, if we're empowered by God and he's reigning in our hearts, husbands, you can be filled with cherishing love for your wife. If, if, if we're empowered by God and he reigns in our heart, children, you can respect and you can pay attention to what your parents are saying. Obey them. If Christ is reigning in our hearts and we're being empowered by God, fathers or parents, we, we don't have to have unrealistic expectations for our kids that provokes them to wrath or anger. Employees, you can listen well. You can follow the instructions of your employer. Employers, you can treat your workers well with equality and justice if we're being empowered by God and he reigns in our heart. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Here's the application. I believe the key to indestructible relationships at home and at work is what Paul says in that beginning verse of Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It's let the peace of Christ rule and the word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts and in your minds. The decisions we have to make in life, whether that uh, decision is work-related or family-related, the answers to the questions that arise each and every week in our life, the uncertainty of the future, or the fear of change. We were not created to be ruled by fear, worry, or anxiety. These things can rob us of our peace. And so simply, two things we need to do to have the peace of God, and the word of God richly in our hearts and minds is number one, ask God for peace because Jesus understands your circumstances. Jesus understands your fears. He hears your prayers and there's no one better equipped to help you overcome, to make sound decisions better than Jesus Christ because he is greater. He is supreme over all. But surrender to his word. Scripture says let, it's meaning yield or surrender to someone or something. Surrender to the word of Christ. Don't feel rigidly tied to structure when it comes to encountering God. Allow your heart to connect with God. He is spirit and he's seeking such who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this week, prayerfully sit with the scriptures and meditate on a specific word or phrase throughout the day or week. Maybe it just looks practically like this. Open the eyes of my heart, glorious one. You said you will give light to the simple. So I humble myself to your word and spirit to bring light to my mind and peace to my heart that I may understand and embrace the treasures of your holy word. Amen. Life Christian Church, let's never forget who we work for. Whether employees, employers, unpaid work or paid work, 
we work for the same master. Let's not see our work as secular. Let's see it as a means to take care of people Christ loves and a means to be a light to the lost and a means to worship Christ by our obedience. Amen. Amen.